What is going on, fellow Summit Chasers? And welcome to another episode of the Summit Chasers podcast. Very excited for this one with the Mr. James Hansamanalis. I should have asked him how to pronounce his last name before this, but we're going to roll with it. And he is a cold calling expert. And I love this conversation because as whether you're a starting business, your medium-sized business, or you're a solopreneur, or you're in sales in general, it is so important to be good and to be comfortable with cold calling. Cold calling is a very successful uh, way to get booked appointments, sales in general, and to just get good at sales, to get good at talking to people. And he really breaks down really, really well how to get good at it, the importance of it, and why we never do enough of it. We never do as much as we think we're doing the volume and the effort you have to put in when it comes to getting the result you want from cold calling. And the result can be astronomical. But the volume you have to put in, especially when you're just starting out, is being okay with failing. And this is a good representation of anything else in life. You just have to do stuff. Be okay with not being good at stuff. Cold calling is no exception. Be okay with not being good at it. Be okay with not everybody loving you all the time. Be okay with getting hung up on. It's okay. Because the outcome that you can get from being an avid cold caller or having a good, strong cold calling team, SDR team, in your company is huge. So sit back, get your notebooks out, enjoy this episode, comment your takeaways below, and I'll also put all of his links and that kind of stuff in there. Some, a lot of his content is great when it comes to sales and cold calling, so follow James and on all the platforms. But like I said, sit back, get your notepad out, and enjoy the episode. What's going on, James? Thanks for being on the show, my friend. Yeah, man. Thanks for inviting me. I'm stoked. Beautiful. Uh, so we, we hooked up on, on LinkedIn and uh, I, I loved as one of your posts and I can't remember the exact words in the post, but the premise was people who are trying to get into sales or they're trying to get their first sale or they're a startup or they're new to cold calling or whatever it is. They think that they're doing a lot of work. They think they're doing enough volume and they're not getting the result they want when really they're not doing anywhere near the work they need to do. And I, I love that because that's one thing that, I mean, I, even I ran into myself when I first had to get into cold calling, I would be like, I did 50. That's probably good. And you know, nobody answered, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. We always make up excuses. So I, that really resonated. And I think that would resonate with a lot of people who are listening. But with that being said, James, again, thank you for being here. Tell everybody a little bit about yourself and, and what you do with phone burner. Sure. So some of you may have seen my content before. If not, I'm basically a cold calling guy. I've been cold calling for years, started off in call centers, love it. Um, and at phone burner, I'm directing the outbound top of funnel part of our uh, outbound motion. And so um, I'm running a team of cold callers and, you know, we go out, we bring in pipeline, do all that good stuff. And so in a nutshell, that's who I am. I love it. So what, what got you into, cause that's like the thing that people dislike the most when they get into trying to create revenue themselves is cold calling so why why did you put your hand up and be like i'll be the cold call guy so long story but before i got into sales i was working at a whole foods and i was a grocery store restock i do overnight shifts i'd restock the milk in the fridge and stuff like that and then i remember like i was working like 14 hours a day i was doing double shifts and just constantly hustling away at my 15 dollars an hour job and I couldn't move up. And so when there was a promotion opportunity, they completely overlooked me for it. And it just, that was like officially what set me over the line. And on top of that, I never saw my new kid. I, you know, we had a baby, I never saw my wife. And so I wanted to make a switch into sales. So A, we didn't have to struggle to pay rent anymore. 
and then B, I could spend more time around them. And so that's what I did. And I made the switch and it's only gotten better and I'm never going to look back. I love it. So what was your first, what was your first cold calling gig? So first cold calling gig was, it wasn't my first sales gig, but my first cold calling gig was at a company in Philadelphia called MRP market resource partners. And it was just an absolute hustle. It was an enterprise environment, giant skyscraper, 37 floors. We were on the very top and (laughs) I was in the highest performing team, which was fun. It was just me and like 10 or 12 other dudes constantly cold calling all day. Um, And we were selling stuff like, you know, security systems and networking equipment and access points and just like the really hard stuff to tech companies and to, uh, Mm. you know, CTOs and things like that. And I had this super hard boss. His name is Chris, shout out to Chris. Um, And every day he'd scream at us, make 15 calls an hour, it's 120 a day. If you're working an eight hour shift, it's not hard. It's not hard, 15 and nobody's picking up either. You get a couple pickups every day, make 15 calls an hour, you'll do 120 a day. And so I think I attribute a lot of like my high volume approach to MRP because that was just like an absolute hustle. And to add to that too, they had a leaderboard. And so they gamified the whole outbound process. Mm. And it, it, there were two things that you could see on that leaderboard. A was the number of meetings that someone booked and B was the number of calls that they made. And almost always there was a direct correlation between the amount of volume someone made and how well they were performing. Uh, so there was data that you could use to predict the outcome. There was a guy, yeah, there was a guy who was always beating me because he always did like a hundred more calls than me every day. (laughs) A hundred more calls? That's a lot more calls. I was doing like 250 and he was doing like 350. So uh, Ben Lowry, man, this absolute animal over there. Every month he's bringing in these crazy commission checks. You know what I mean? And uh, But that was just the nature of it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's inherently like competitive. And that's why like a lot of people who either they are competitive, they have a chip on their shoulder, they come, you know, sports backgrounds, whatever it is, they they tend to do, they at least get into it a little bit better, right? Like anybody can do it, right? You can get good at it. But to uh, those those types of people in the, from that type of background, they usually, at least they get into it a little bit quicker. And then I love like the gamification stuff. Like once you have a good process, once you have like predictable, like once you're set, like there's, there's some companies that aren't there yet where it's just that they don't know what they're, their ratio is yet they don't have you know their offer completely figured out yet or whatever it is but the gamification part is i absolutely love it just have the leaderboard in front of you and then and then you can see that and then you can start to see trends and you get you know people somebody who has the crown like sometimes the crown if you have that i remember we had one it was uh, what was it called sales screen and if you were a number one you had a crown over your little avatar Right. And that crown meant more to people than their commission checks sometimes, right? Because they, they just want to win. They just want to win. It's, it's healthy competition, right? So when you're, when you're cold calling, how did you, or did you, did you ever have a fear of it? Like, were you ever, like, when you first started, were you kind of scared? Like, the fear of rejection is big. Did you ever have that when you started? Yeah. When I first started sales in general, I was super introverted and I'm actually still pretty introverted. I don't, I don't like talking to people and I still get a little nervous. And I remember it was, it was either my first or second day at MRP. Chris was like, you know, we didn't even have a script yet. And he was like, why is no one hitting the phones? He was like, you need to hit the phones. And, you know, everybody's like shy. It was a bunch of new guys too. It's like eight of us who were just starting there. Everybody was super shy. And like by noon, everybody's got 25 calls in. Why? Because we're looking up people on LinkedIn. 
We're trying to come up with a better script. We're trying to do all this stuff. And he's like, you're not going to figure a damn thing out until you've done 200, 300, 1,000 calls. It's like, you're not going to get good without repetition. Uh, so just do it. <laughs> just do and But that's the thing, though. It's like the more you do it, the more comfortable you feel with it. And so even yeah. today, it's like for a split second, I'll say to myself, oh, I feel like a little anxious. I don't want to talk to people today. And as soon as it hit dial, it just goes away. You know, it's, it's almost become a stimulant for me. It's almost like a dopamine hit too every time you book a meeting or talk to someone. And so it's, you know, after doing 100,000 cold calls or whatever the hell it's been at this point, it's become so easy and so natural that as soon as it hit dial, everything just clears. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that because that, that's a almost a direct reference to, uh, so I used to, used to fight professionally. I competed in CrossFit and Strongman. And you always be really, really nervous no matter how many times I did it, how many events I've done or wherever, how many places I've traveled. You always get nervous right before the event, but then once you line up, right, and you got that countdown or things close behind you or whatever it is, it goes away because now all you have is all you have to focus now is everything kind of goes like this, and your focus is now so clearly pointed towards I just need to have this conversation, I just need to book this appointment, I need to overcome this objection, and it's just that that next thing in front of you, right? So you you're introverted, still are. I don't think that ever really goes away. Speaking to a also an introvert how did you when you initially first started was it just the repetition or was there any other tricks or anything like that that you kind of had to tell yourself mindset anything like that that you had to that you tried at least to get over that initial feeling so i got you know metaphorically punched in the face at my first job my first sales job like official sales job i was actually working two at the same time the one was for an electric company and i was selling to people in walmart literally walking around walmart selling people discounted electricity and gasoline plants. You could do that in certain states. Uh, and simultaneously, I was working at a Best Buy for a third-party company called Action Link, where I was selling Sony TVs, which, you know, if you know anything about TVs, it's like the most expensive and difficult to sell. And so, you know, as I'm doing this, I feel super nervous. I've got really good mentors from the start, and they're not really giving me any good advice either though about this. They don't know how to overcome this. And so I came up with this idea like, all right, I don't feel comfortable selling and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to come up with a second personality that I could channel. And as soon as I channel this person, I'm going to put regular James in a little box in the back of my head. And then I'm going to channel this new person, which sounds a little crazy, but it worked really well for me. So I had two different versions of myself. I had James and I had Jimbo. That's what I called it. Jimbo was more outgoing, a little bit more extroverted and didn't worry about pissing people off in the process. Didn't worry about pissing off prospects or people. And so after a while, it became very natural. And so at work, I'd be somebody different. At home, I'd be somebody different. At home, I'd be more patient and calm. And at work, I'd be, you know, a little bit more outgoing. But uh, after years of doing that, it's become embedded in me. And so I don't need to channel a second person anymore. It's like everything I've had to learn, everything I've had to like do to get here has just become part of me as a seller. Yeah, that's awesome. I, it's, I mean, maybe some people would hear that and be like, that's a split personality. I don't know if that's healthy, but we, we all do that anyways, but it's more like it almost happens out of our control. So why not do it in a way where we can control it, right? Like we walk into a situation maybe and it's, we had a bad experience doing whatever this thing is in the past. And then we go in, all of a sudden we're nervous, our, our palms start sweating. That's the same thing. We went from being, you know, at least somewhat confident to shrinking. And that's the same thing. You're just doing it in an opposite way and you're controlling it. And I think a lot of us can do that very similarly. We don't have to name it. I mean, you can, whatever works for you. 
right? When you walk into a situation, whether it's a cold call, whether it's maybe you're a closer or an AE or whatever it is, you're, you're about to lead a meeting for your team and you're nervous, you can kind of channel that that confidence within you, whether it's thinking of something that you had accomplished in the past, even if it has nothing to do with what you're about to do, just something to bring out that confidence in you and kind of become that person you need to be to get, to, you know, at least fake to be good at what you're about to do until you can naturally get good at it. Right. So I think that, I think that's a great strategy. I think that is. And so I, I don't want, you know, I don't want anybody to think that, you know, I think you're crazy or you think you're crazy. I think it's a great strategy yeah. and I think I, we do it anyways. Right. Well, like another way to think about it too is because some people are going to walk away from this and be like, oh, that's a little weird or they might have a bad taste in their mouth from it. There's a person that you are and then there's a person that you want to be or the person that you want to transform into. If you want to be the person that you want to transform into, you can't keep on being yourself. You're going to have to make changes. And so think about what that person is and then slowly start to make the changes around it. And then over time, you will become that person. But that doesn't happen until you actually sit down and think, okay, well, here's where I'm at. In order to get to where I need to be, X, Y, Z, all these changes need to be made. 100%. Thanks for the sound bite. That was great. <laughs> that, was really, that was really good. No, because we, we all have a, we have a vision of what we want to accomplish, but a lot of people don't envision who we need to be to accomplish that, right? And, some, and it's, a lot of times it's not going to be who you are. Right. And, and there is a lot of, you know, be confident in who you are, accept who you are. And sure, you do have to do that to do what you're currently doing. But if you want to do something different than what you're currently doing, you're going to have to change. Right. So I think, I think that's a great message. Um, so back to sales. So you what was the, kind of the biggest from a cold call? What's the biggest ticket thing you've ever sold? That's a good question. It has to be the stuff at MRP. The stuff at MRP was so high ticket. And, you know, the, the fun part about this is that despite it being very high ticket, they would provide us lead lists with very minimal information. And so we knew the person, the person's name, right? That's it. And we knew their title, but we didn't know the company that they worked for. We didn't know how big it was. We didn't know anything. And it created this fun dynamic where you're calling people and treating every single call the same, whether it's an SMB mid-market enterprise uh, opportunity. And all these are cold. None of these are warm, right? And you're talking to every single person like it's the same. The data shows that whether you work or whether you, you're you know, calling it SMB, mid-market, enterprise, there is a very, very, very minimal difference between conversion rates, depending on the vertical you go after. And so for some people, I think for SMB, it was like a 4% conversion rate across the board. Mid-market was you know, 3%, enterprise was 2%, which is typical. And so a lot of, I don't know, this is where we're going down this road, but you're uh, but a lot of sellers get super hooked on, I need different messaging for different verticals. And it's just not true. It's just not true. I, I do the same thing with my team. If I'm making a lead list, I'm not talking about whether it's an enterprise, mid-market, SMB. They have a lead list in front of them. And whether they're talking to Joe at Joe Pizza's or you know uh, Mark Benioff at Salesforce, it, it's the same script every time. That's And that's wild. And I th a lot of people need to hear that because they would go through the list and they'd get instant anxiety. I don't know where they work. I don't know where they live. I don't know what their favorite ice cream is, you know, all that kind of stuff. They, and, and they get kind of lost in the details as opposed to just doing it. Right. So what, so you were, you were calling everybody. You didn't know who they were. You didn't know where they worked, all that kind of stuff. So what, how do you start that out? Like what, what's your secret to get to the point where they, well, first of all, what's the dollar number? What's the highest ticket? If you can remember. Uh, for something that closed, it was, I don't remember the exact number. I remember it was high three figures. It was somewhere between like six and seven. 
It was somewhere between there. Gotcha. Six and okay. Six hundred, seven hundred thousand. Um, the typical deal size for something at MRP was like twenty k. Okay. Oh, so you were between right. twenty and seven hundred thousand. Well, there there were a lot of things that were five hundred bucks too. Okay. A lot, well, a lot of little okay. stuff, a lot of big stuff, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. But still, there were those types of tickets that were closed, and were those closed right from a cold call? No. So I would generate a, a demo. I was okay. SDRing at the time. Gotcha. I would generate a demo, kick it over, and instead of it going over to an account exec on our team, we'd be booking meetings directly for companies like Cisco or HP or Dell or Ruckus yeah. Wireless, and then they would close it on their end. And so they would have many very minimal information too. We'd fill out a demo submission form, kick it over to them, and there would be like two or three lines. And so, uh, as you could expect, not everything closed and a lot of stuff didn't close because there wasn't a lot of communication going on, mm-hmm. but it was still fun. And, and there was a lot of stuff that did close, which is, you know, an interesting dynamic. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're just a volume tactic, right? Um, For sure. Okay. So cold calling to whoever, <laughs> SMV, medium size enterprise, whatever, whatever it was. Um, what was what was kind of like the biggest objections? I mean, usually, I mean, everyone thinks that they get unique objections, but really they can fit in only a few, like just a few buckets, right? Um, they're saying different words, but they mean the same thing. So what, what were kind of the, some of the biggest objections that you would get? And then how would you overcome them? So there are really only five different types of objections. You have everything under BANT, which people wouldn't normally characterize as... Um, you know, an objection, but budget authority need time frame. Those are all legitimate objections. And then the fifth one is anything that is, um, how do you say it? Like it, the technical objections, you know, oh, we can't have this product because it doesn't integrate with this. And we need it to integrate with that. Then you have those kind of objections. And so you really have five objections for anything, no matter what objection it is, the solution is simply to ask more questions. And so a lot of sellers get very hooked on, I need to overcome objections in order to book a meeting. If it's a legitimate object, objection, if someone is not in market to buy, if someone doesn't have decision-making power, you probably don't want to book a meeting with them anyway, mm. right? And so that needs to be a little bit of the mindset shift. The other mindset shift that needs to be made is when I do listen to cold calls from other people, it comes off as a telemarketing call. Mm. And instead, what we need to start doing is teaching our SDRs how to be salespeople and when you're talking to people over the phone, there should be a ratio. They, your prospects should be talking at least twice as much as you are. That happens by asking really hard questions. And so instead of saying, you know, uh, hey, this is James from Phoneburner. Uh, you know, we have a, a power dialing solution that can help 200% increase your pipeline revenue for your SDR team. Would you be open to a meeting? I'm starting off my calls by saying, you know, hey, uh, Zach, it's James. Um, super high level. I, I work over at phone burner. We have a dialer. Any chance you guys already have something like this in place. And then I'm going to shut my mouth and just let you talk. Mm-hmm. And you're going to tell me why I'm disqualified or why you don't need my product. I'm going to assume that you're going to make those objections. And then we're going to get into the juice of it. You know, we're going to really start getting deep into it. I'm going to keep asking you more questions until you eventually confess to me that you do need my product. So just ask questions. Be curious. Ask a lot of questions and ask hard questions. Yeah. You know, Ooh, so what do you mean by that? Hard questions. I like that. <laughs> All right. So I'm respectfully going to call out some of my competitors really quick. So Nooks and Orem, you know, they have really cool products. 
However, the biggest complaint that I hear from their customers is spam rate. And the reason for that is because they use numbers from companies like Twilio, they're secondhand providers. And so it's naturally it's going to happen, right? And as I'm talking to the customers, they'll tell me over the phone, yeah, you know, we're with Orem right now. We're going to be with them for another three months. Um, honestly, we don't want them because we keep showing up as spam, but we're not going to be able to do that. And so I'll just say, so what I'm hearing is you're okay with showing up as spam for another three months. And then you just shut your mouth and then they're going to sit there and say, well, we're not okay with it. You know, they're going to start explaining to you why, oh, we have to do this and have to do that. And so you're going to say, okay, so you're not okay with it, but you're not going to make the change. You're not going to start looking at different solutions. And then you just shut up again. And so those are the type of hard questions you have to ask on the call. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is the stuff that if you're an actual closer, this is the stuff they teach you. And it's a shame that we don't teach SDRs how to do this stuff because we should. If SDRs were taught how to be closers, then they would pre-close calls, kick them over to an AE who would easily be able to close them. And sales teams would stop seeing a 3% conversion rate from a meeting to a you know closed deal to something higher, like a 20%, like how it was back in 2018. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but instead what we do is we train our SDRs to be appointment setters and they call up a, a person on the phone. They spend 30 seconds saying, Hey, do you want to see our product? It's a yes or no. And you move on to the next person. It's like, that's never going to close. It's just not going to happen. But if you get your SDRs actually pre-closing those deals, you're going to convert way higher, or you're going to at least have super high qualifying prospects in your pipeline that you could retarget three or six months down the road. That's Beautiful advice, and I couldn't agree more. So if I could kind of premise that or condense that, it would be, so for the SDRs to get better at closing, so by that you mean getting them to, so almost when they do set the appointment, that prospect already identifies that they have a need and that you could be a you could be a solution to the to the need or the problem. So they're either, they're going to be more likely to show up too, so your closers are going to get more at-bats or at least a higher show rate percentage, and they're going to close at a higher percentage. So you exactly. get kind of to 100%. Yeah, I mean, the SDR, right? And this is, it's hard for somebody who's getting paid $40,000 a year working like an animal to do this. But, you know, if you want to be in this long term, the best way to do it is to give your AEs really good demos and give them a lot of them, right? And again, that happens by asking super hard questions and, and pre-closing people over the phone, yeah. you know, and that's, your prospects should leave with this. They should leave with an understanding of what your product does an understanding of why they need it, an understanding of how it's different than their current solution if they have one. And then I would even go as far to say that they should be okay with the pricing. If they ask you about pricing, right? Like people ask me all the time, how much is phone burner? We're the only dialer to my knowledge, except for maybe Kixie, who has their um, you know, pricing public. It's $129 to $179. But if you do a good job during that cold call, they're okay with the pricing anyway. You know what I mean? Because you've, you've demonstrated enough value for them to be okay with it. There's a lot going on in the SDR world that just needs to change. And the painful truth about it too is like, this is a big reason why half the SDRs out there have a green banner. They're just not being trained right. You have a job to generate five times the amount of money that they're paying you to do. That doesn't sound flattering. That sounds terrible. But if they're paying you $40,000, what is that? 200000 right? Quick math. You should bring in $200,000 a year for them, right? If you're getting paid $100,000, you should bring it in $500,000. And that's just how it should be. 
but people just don't think like that. And so they think they can get away with sending a couple LinkedIn messages out, hoping they book a meeting. It's a garbage meeting and nothing closes. And they're wondering why every six months they have to keep switching jobs. That's why you're not bringing quality. You're just bringing in these garbage leads. Yeah, and I, I think that you hit a great point on kind of on both sides as well, right? So from the if if you're you know a business owner and you're or whatever a manager it doesn't matter of a bigger company and you're hiring in SDR positions, they almost see that as like they they almost expect the turn rate to be high. They almost expect the this is just you know it's an entry level position. They sink or swim, whatever it is. They don't really put as much emphasis on the importance of that role. And then therefore, because they're not doing it, because leadership's not doing it, and they have to take responsibility for that, then the SDRs do not see a lot of value in their role. So then that's when they're going to, you know, like you just said, perfectly, they're going to send, I'll send two LinkedIn messages, or I won't, I won't pre-qualify this person quite as much. I just need, I just have to hit five today. I have to book five appointments today. And after I'm done that, then, you know, I can just, I don't have to do anything because I already hit five, as opposed to okay, if you get really good at this, this is the next step. The next step is being a closer. This is what you can make as a closer. So here's the skills you need to develop to get there. The best way to develop the skills is to practice them here. And then when you do get really good at them here, you're going to make it seem way easier for the AEs to close, right? And then you set that example, you set that cultural, that training, that development example. And it's just, it's going to have a huge compounding effect for your business, for your career, really. So I think that's an amazing point. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say the other half of that too is like, you know, if you train your SDRs to simply just be appointment setters, I don't understand how people could think that that's going to translate well into a closing role. It just won't because they're not asking those hard questions, right? And it's a common theme here of just asking hard questions, but that's what closing is. You're sitting down, you're talking to people and you're questioning them on why they need your product. And they're telling you the truth the whole time because you're asking them the hard questions. And so you know, it, for an SDR leader, it's it's very lazy to just say, I want to get my SDRs to book a meet, you know, book meetings and that's it. These meetings that are coming in, if your SDRs are asking those hard questions or pre-qualifying them, then what's going to happen is when it's time for them to translate into that AE role or whatever you call it, client specialist role, 18 months down the road, it's going to be seamless, right? It's going to be seamless and you're not going to have to retrain them. You're just going to have to refine their training. You're going to have to make it a little bit more complex, but it's, it, you know, I could ramble about this for days, but that's my take on it. No, I love it. <laughs> Do so. <laughs> it's all good. Um, no, I, I love it. I love the passion behind it. You can, you can tell, you can tell that you're good at it and it's because you're passionate about it. I like that a lot. So what is, let's say somebody is, they're, they're trying to get started with, you know, either developing the cold call process for their company or their team or doing it themselves. Where do they, where do they start as far as a script goes? Or do they even start with a script? Do they just do it and then develop the script after? What is your take on that? So I, I do, so I'll, I'll break this down into two different parts. So when I first joined a company and I have to figure out what messaging is going to work, I start off with the most basic possible messaging as possible. And so for me, when I first started a phone burner, I was told, oh, this vertical works, this vertical doesn't work, this persona works and blah, blah, blah. And they gave me all this criteria. And I met with my team after that call and I was like, guys, you know, I, I know what Lindsay Dean just told us and I know what Mark told us. You got to forget about that. We have to start from zero and we have to retest all this stuff. And so I came up with the most generic possible script that you could use. I mean, this is something, if you guys chat GPT, write me 
a very simple script for cold calling. This is what they would give you. What you do then is you iterate and you iterate and you iterate. You make a hundred calls, you talk to five or six or seven people, and then you iterate, you say, okay, I, I would even go as far as to grab two different Sharpies. I've done this, this is how I got, got good with scripting at MRP, had a green Sharpie and red Sharpie. Anywhere that was a chokehold in the conversation, circle it in red. Anywhere where you felt like there was good smooth flow, circle that in green, and then you refine it. And by doing that, you get to figure out, hey, this is our ICP, this messaging works, all this stuff works just great. Again, common theme is volume two. You're not gonna figure that out until you've done a thousand cold calls, right? So repetition in order to figure out the messaging that works. The other half of that is I run something called a 4590 plane. And so you probably have heard of like 30, 60, 90s. First 45 days of a new SDR, we are going over my script and my script only. They're not experimenting. There's no flexibility, right? And a lot of people are gonna look at me weird for that one. I don't want my SDRs experimenting for the first 45 days. I want them following my script. After day 45, going into day 46 to 90, they can start tweaking it a little bit, change the opener, do whatever. And then I'm still going to be monitoring them. After day 90, they, they need to be off the, the hook. They need to be completely off the leash. At day 90, the idea is they figured out a script that works for them. They're in a position where they can safely, comfortably start experimenting. And more importantly, they're independent. And so I could hire another person now. So every 90 days, it's every quarter, you want to bring in a new person. And that's how you scale. I love that. All right. So start with a basic script. Don't get too complicated right out the gate. Make 100 calls. Talk to 5 to 10 people. Make small adjustments. Like you said, I love that idea. Anything that's like a chokehold, right? Where you're coming up with, you know, a lot of either the same objections or you're just, you're just getting, getting stuck, circle with red, anything that's good. I love that. That's so good. Okay. I like it. So that's where to start. So how do they get, what do you think is the biggest, how do you close out a call? So this is a cold call. You're booking an appointment with a closer. What's the best way on the call to increase show rate other than sending reminders and that kind of stuff, but on the call, how do you increase show rate? Because that's a big struggle with a lot of people. I actually don't send reminders. Sometimes I do. If I get somebody who's just like, you know, a little distant, the whole conversation, I'll set a reminder. Or there might be like an automated email that goes out. But in my experience, so we have a 91% show rate at Phone Burner, which I think is pretty good. Really good. And I, I honestly think the reason for that is because we don't book demos with people who don't want demos. We book pe meetings with people who want demos. Mm -hmm. Right? And so... If you find someone who's either in market to buy or will be in market to buy, it, they're more likely to take a meeting than somebody who you just set up an appointment with just to set an appointment with. As far as, um, you know, uh, closing out the call, there's some questions that could be asked at the very end to increase short rates. So one thing that I like a lot, so, you know, Zach, you know, we just went over all this stuff. What is it that you're most excited for and what is it that you're most skeptical about? they'll tell you what they're most excited about. And so that reinforces the idea that they're going to show up to the meeting because they get more excited about it as they talk about it. Anything they're skeptical about, again, you're pre-closing. Mm -hmm. The idea is to listen to that and then tell them why they shouldn't worry about it. So if you're like, oh, you know, we've used dialers before. Um, we don't want a team showing up as spam. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, well, look, you know, I, I don't know if you know this, we're the only uh, dialer company that works with companies like AT&T and Verizon. So our, our 
the likelihood of you showing up as spam, I'm not going to say it's impossible, but it's close to impossible. Does that make you feel a little bit better? And they'll say yes, right? And then you cover what they like and what they hate, and that's going to increase the show rate too. I like it. So you're, and I love the, I love those questions, right? First of all, bring out the objection, just get it out there so you can overcome it. Otherwise it stays in inside and it comes out as some sort of, I call them like a brush off, right? Or, or a red herring, right? Where they're just kind of send you off on a different path and you don't know what to truly uh, overcome. So putting that right out there, but then I love the questions and this has happened to me. I've done it to people. And even when it does happen to me, I don't realize it's happening because they, they're, they're good at it, but you get them to sell to you. So that question that you just asked them, what is it that you like about this right now? Or what is your favorite thing about it? They don't realize that they're selling you on why they like it and they should have it. Thus reinforcing why they should show up to the meeting or sign on the dotted line. <laughs> like, I love those questions so yeah. much. Um, exactly. Yeah, no, that's, that, that's, that's awesome. So that's really great advice for increasing the show rates and pre-closing. So your AEs have a better time or an easier time. Your closers have an easier time. Uh, closing out the sale i love it what are what are some like your your top other than what we've already kind of talked about some of your top like your top one to three best advice for a somebody who wants to get really good at closing maybe they're you know a solopreneur right now and they, they just need to start they don't have a list they don't have anything like that yet right but they just need to start Where, what's the first thing they should do uh first thing you do is buy phone burner Second thing that you do, <laughs> the second, I mean, honestly, like if it's not phone burner, let it be something. But even if you just start out with a cell phone, I mean, I guess it doesn't technically matter, right? But, um, you know, as long as you're able to make a lot of volume, you're not going to get good with that volume. So prioritize volume and be fully okay with falling on your face and getting stepped on by prospects. You're going to learn, right? It's like walking. So the first time you walked or rode a bike. Of course, you're going to get stepped on. Of course, you're going to fall over. Of course, it's going to be hard. As you keep doing it, it gets easier. The second thing is I worked for a big sales guru on YouTube for a small period of time. It was like three or four months, Mark Wayshek. And I remember the, there was one piece of advice that really, really stuck out to me, which is if you think it, say it. And if you think it, just say it has been the best advice that I think anybody's ever given me in sales. Two weeks ago, I booked a meeting with someone over the phone and the call literally started out like this. Did you call me five seconds ago from a Texas number? And I was like, no. And he was like, oh, somebody just called me. What do you want? Is this, you know, and I'm like, look, man, this is a cold call. And I can already tell by the way this is going, you don't want a cold call right now. So if I talk to you right now, am I going to be wasting my time? Or like, should I just move on to the next person here? And I just shut up and he was like, no, 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 you're good. Um, I just got eye surgery. I'm just, I'm having a little bit of a rough time. So if I seem grumpy, that's why, you know, as opposed to, this is what most SDRs do, being very apologetic on the phone. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. It sounds like I'm bothering you. Um, I'm, I'm so sorry. Is it okay if I get 30 seconds? Is it okay? You know, instead, and it, it all goes back to hard questions, but if you think it, say it, right? So if you have somebody on the phone who's like, um, maybe reluctant to talk, you know, or they're saying, giving you word word answers, you respond with, you know, Zach, I could just tell you're not into this, right? And then let them tell you if they are or aren't, right? Mm -hmm. um, trying to think about other advice. Um, don't be afraid to upset people. Don't be Ooh, afraid to good. upset that's people. That's good advice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, you know, it's so much about sales and communication is counterintuitive. Mm -hmm. 
and so as you keep doing this, you learn if you upset people, you'll probably go a little bit farther <laughs> than if you're just trying to make everybody happy. And so if you're cold calling, you're going to upset people. Mm-hmm. And if you want to get them back on track, the, the worst thing you could do is be apologetic the whole time. Right? There's something in sales called the law of congruency, which is I'm, the sa- I'm going to be the same as you in order to gain your respect, in order to gain your trust. And so, um, you know, if I call somebody up on the phone and they're super excited, hello, who's this? I'm like, hey, it's James. I'm actually cold calling you right now. Is it okay if I get a couple seconds? If I call somebody who's really upset, I'm going to match that tone. Right? And this is why mirroring to, is such a big deal. So um, that could be wrapped up in just mirror like crazy. Learn about tonality too. Mm. No, that, that's great advice. And I think those two points that you made kind of go hand in hand because people want to be apologetic and they want to like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm in your way. Like you're admitting that you're screwing up that guy's day and then you ask for 30 seconds. Like it doesn't make any sense, right? But exactly. to you, you're just like, oh, I don't want to upset him. I don't want to do this. So I'm going to apologize. And you think that's going to going to smooth things over and you're going to be able to continue on with your call. It's, it just doesn't work like that at all. And it's, it's really, no. you're right. The way we communicate is so counterintuitive. Um, yeah. That's, that's some what, great that advice. Over, that, that type of attitude belongs in customer service. And that's mm-hmm. why like this is a metric not often talked about. If you look at pre-qualifications for SDR roles, it'll typically say something like um, had some kind of client facing role or um, you know, SDR role in the past. A lot of jobs say customer service is a pre-qualification for SDRing or BDRing. And that's as far from true as possible. That's the opposite of what, what you want to do. And so surprisingly, there was a study done over at um, Salesforce the highest performing SDRs were the ones who had a background in marketing, which <laughs> uh, you would never suspect, but they understand communication mm. and messaging better than anybody else. They, and they, they don't care if they piss people success off. Rate. They don't care if they piss people they off. Yeah, it's natural. It's going to happen. Yeah. No, that's and that's a great point because, I mean, even I've been guilty of that in the past, I have to admit. So when you're hiring for those you know, outbound caller roles, cold calling SDR roles, you think, okay, well, if they're good with people, Right. And you look for customer service, but that's right. That's completely opposite. Oh, I'm so sorry. I will be out there right away. It's like, yeah, you better be like, it never really calms them down until you actually fix the problem. If you're calling somebody, you're getting them to admit that they have a problem that you can fix. So being apologetic is not, it's not going to, it's not going to be what gets them there. Right. So I think that's, that's amazing advice, James. I really, really appreciate Everyone's going to appreciate that, but I really appreciate you being on dude. Um, I always ask this question. James, what is the next summit that you are chasing? What is the next summit that I'm chasing? Hmm. I don't want to give you like a, a half-baked answer here. Um, I'm always just kind of going with the waves in the best way possible. And so my mindset, which I think everybody's mindset should be this, especially if you're in sales, is what more can I do? And so for phone burner, it's not a number that I'm trying to hit. It's like, what is the absolute maximum? MRR, I can get them two from outbound. You know what I mean? In terms of like personal things, it's like how many copies of my book can I sell? You know, it's not a number I'm trying to hit. And so, you know, aiming for the most that you could possibly do, that's, I think that's always the next journey and that's always a focus. Mm-hmm. I like it. Like your current ceiling isn't always going to be your ceiling. Like you should always be looking for another one. And that's kind of the premise, right? There's always another yeah. summit. Beautiful, man. All right. You got a minute. Well, if you want to take more than a minute, you can, but plug whatever you want. Where can people find you? I just heard that you had a book. Plug away. Yep. So 
couple of things here. Um, follow me on LinkedIn. Ping me, DM me if you need help with cold calling or cold outbound. This is what I do. It's probably the, the only thing that I'm really, really, really good at, if we're being honest. I'm super at this. I'm average at everything else. Um, if you're trying to build out outbound systems, that's you follow my content. Buy my book. It's 10 bucks. Savage Outbound. It teaches you how to do cold calling. If you're looking to do cold email, cold texting, cold WhatsApp, this book isn't for you. This is for people who are trying to break into cold calling and are having a hard time. 10 bucks. If you can't afford it, DM me. I'll give it to you for free. It's 10 bucks though, Gumroad. Uh, it's going to be on Amazon soon too. I think phone burner, best power dialer out there, objectively, like actually objectively. We have the highest connect rates across the board. Uh, 70 plus calls an hour. If you like me, you do 100 plus calls an hour. Calls get recorded, syncs into your CRM, integrates with all CRMs, integrates with SEPs. Um, I could talk about all the features and functions and, and all the great stuff, but just long story short, helps your team stop missing quota. <laughs> Let's go. And uh, other than that, I'm all over the place. You, you can find my, my link tree on my profile. Beautiful, brother. Well, James, it was great. There's a lot of great nuggets that I got from this, and I'm sure a lot of people listening got from this. So I really appreciate you coming on, my brother. For sure, man. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for watching this episode of the Summit Chasers podcast. I really hope that you enjoyed, you were inspired, you learned something that you can use to go and chase whatever your next summit may be. Be sure to like and comment your takeaways from the episode below. Also, follow us on all social media platforms under Summit Chasers Network. And if you're watching this on YouTube, be sure to turn on your notifications so you can be notified when we drop new content like how-to videos, business best practices, motivation, and personal development strategies. And until next time, keep chasing your summit. I'll see you on the next one.